This is The Doctor and the Mystic at 980 AM KBDD, Black Wolf, Kansas. Do you look up QAnon? I don't know what that is. How do you not know these things? Because uh, I don't pay attention. <laughs> but this is like, QAnon is like the new modern, like, weird conspiracy crew of people. They, like, believe insane stuff, and they, like, legitimately believe it. It started as, like, just a joke. But it's like people believe that, like, Tom Hanks is faking coronavirus because he was actually scouting out children, you know? <laughs> For the big... <laughs> The big Hollywood pedophile. And he like got ring. caught or something, so he like said he had coronavirus to like hide from the media for a bit. QAnon. Okay, yeah, I see it right here. I think I've heard the name. They're basically alt right wing, right? Yeah. I mean, no. They're like their own weird ass. They probably support Trump, I'm sure. Are they part of that crew? Uh what's his name? Um you know, InfoWars man? No. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check them out. I love conspiracies, but then you start to meet some of the people or getting interviews with these people, and you're just fucking nuts. You want the conspiracy that's intelligent. You want the conspiracy that it could actually happen. And then you get everyone else, and then once they start talking about flat earth, that's the beginning. That's just the top level of idiocy. And then it goes deeper and deeper, and it gets into weird zones like, there are people that legitimately believe that the world is run by lizards. I question it sometimes. I really do. There is something to be said about lizard people running the world. The problem is you say, well, the world is run by these lizards. Well, not quite. The lizard thing goes back to some sort of ancient Mesopotamian god stuff about people and some sort of reptilian creation. So it does make sense. They've been in the, the background. Yeah. There can be a case for these lizard people. But the problem is, is you, if you're at a bar one night and you meet somebody that's, you know, drinking Evan Williams, you know, by himself. And then he's like, you know, goddamn Donald Trump is one of the lizard people. You're like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't because because that's you're all you're going to envision is a, a guy that rips like it rips off his head like in Scooby Doo. And he's and he's a lizard. That's not what they're talking about. Oh, they're not? They're not saying it specifically that they're lizards? <laughs> it's not like the Time Traveler movie. What is it? The H.G. Wells movie. It's not, you know, the more, what are the, the Morlocks? Yeah, the Morlocks. People think of that. What were the Morlocks? Did you ever read that book? Yeah. Because I, I know that they go into the future and that there's Morlocks. But who were the Morlocks? They lived underground. And they just managed to come up and take over? It's been so long, but I think that there were like two classes of people. There were, and they got rid of libraries too. That's the, the two things I remember. I think that the people on the, the top level were basically the farm. And they lived in this happy life where they just mated and had sex and ate grapes. And everybody was beautiful. And then when the Morlocks, I believe they needed to eat or whatever they needed the people for, their machines or whatever was going on underground... They sent that siren out and then they brought some of them in. They were basically like feeding cattle. So they'd let them live lavish lives until uh, they needed to come up and feed. I think so. They need to remake that movie. They did do a remake of the time travel movie in the early 2000s, but the movie was not that good. It had the guy from, um, the guy that looks like Superman, but he's not Superman. Um, he was in uh, that Russell Crowe movie. He's a famous actor. You know who he is. Right? <laughs> I don't know the time traveler. No, no, but you know the actor. No. I don't. He was in a movie with Russell Crowe. You know that movie? There were cops. Oh, Memento guy. The guy that was in Memento. Oh. You know that guy? Yeah, I forget his name. Well, he starred in the, the remake of the time travel movie, and I was so excited because back then I was like all about like end of the world. And now, you know, now it's going on, and it's like, fuck, I don't, I don't really want the end of the world because I can't do anything. What uh, was it called? Time Traveler? Whatever the H.G. Wells, the time machine. Oh, the time machine. Oh, my gosh. It was called the time machine. You would have thought that I was born in 2005 or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, the time machine. Like, I, like, there's a famous book. Like, it was part of my, like, childhood. I'm trying to Google it, and just an app is coming up. The remake of the time machine? 2002, right? Yeah, 2002. Right after September 11th. 
Oh, my God. It doesn't look like a good movie. It's not. I was so excited for it. I think I saw it in the theater, too. And then uh, it was not the best. Guy Pierce, yeah. Guy Pierce, yeah. What a beautiful name, huh? I always found him kind of annoying, but I think he did do some stuff where I did like. What has he done lately? Oh, he's done something lately for sure. I think he redeemed himself. I think he uh, Nicholas caged himself to me. Oh, yeah? How did Nicholas Cage redeem himself to you? Well, I used to hate Nicholas Cage. Something about him, I think it was because... This is also before like I was an actor and everything, but like I was like, why is this guy doing action movies? You know what I'm saying? Like he's kind of like a Weasley guy. Oh, Alien Covenant. That's what he did. I didn't see that. Oh, it's so good. Is it part of like the Alien movies? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I guess you got to take them all with a grain. Well, I just started watching Prometheus. I actually really like Prometheus too, even though that got a lot of bad reviews. Alien Covenant kind of brings all the cool things about Alien back and puts them in the forefront. I was never a big Alien fan, but I still think I need to go back and watch it as, you know, more mature. Oh, dude, Alien and Aliens are both great movies. I've seen Aliens a couple times more than I've seen the original Alien. But 3 got a lot of bad press too, right? You know, I watched 3 recently. I mean, maybe I was like high or something, but I was like, this isn't that bad. It just felt like Alien, the movie, revisited. (laughs) They're like in a prison planet and all the tropes that go with that. You know, sexism, that sort of thing. It wasn't that bad. And this is why I didn't like Nicolas Cage, and he redeemed himself. So as a kid, you know, I grew up, and, you know, I remember him from a few 80s movies or whatever, and he was like this weaselly weird guy, which was cool. And then he's doing like these action movies, and I'm like, who is this guy? Like, my dad is stronger than this guy. Why is he doing like these action? I just didn't buy it. Right. Or I just thought he was a bad actor, too. And then I saw The Weatherman. Nicholas Cage, the weatherman. Have you ever seen that? Where he's the Chicago weatherman? I just remember he carries a crossbow. It's such a great movie. This was the movie that turned you on Nicholas Cage. Yeah, it was like a dark, depressing comedy. I mean, he had to divorce, and he was like the ultimate loser. And it was just a great movie, and he was incredible in it. And then I went back, and I, I just realized, you know, this guy... Nicholas Cage, he's got a lot of balls. He will take on any project that comes his way. He will do anything, and he can be anything. And if you just get by him, it's like when we saw the last Star Wars movie. I had to go into it realizing it was going to suck or realizing it was stupid. And then I had a good time. I can't think that Nicholas Cage is going to be Robert De Niro or something like that. I have to go into it, be like, this is Nicolas Cage. This is a guy that will do anything, you know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and, and kill it. He will just kill it because he just has the confidence, did not care about anything, whatever. I don't know his personal life, but he just seems like somebody that isn't afraid to take anything on. Right. And then I grew to really, you know, he's not my favorite actor, but he's definitely, I like him a lot more than I like many actors. I think you must be the only person with the opinion that Weatherman is really what brought all of the great qualities of Nicolas Cage to the forefront. I think it was one of the best movies. I haven't seen it, so I guess I, sh- I can't shit talk it. Maybe I, was, I felt like I was the Weatherman at times, except I wasn't making any money. I was working on radio or something. But I don't know. There's just something about that movie where I empathized with him and... I thought he did a great job. There's just something about him playing a loser. Well, for when Weatherman came out, it was like, I think I was already like, oh, he's at the end of his career, that he's doing movies like this. That's what it felt like to me. And maybe I poorly judged him, but I just, I knew him from like The Rock. What else did I know him Con from? Ed. Con Ed. Or Face Off. Was he in Face Off? Con Ed. What are you <laughs> saying, Con Ed? Oh, con- why was it? Oh, con <laughs> hair, con-, con head, bunch of <laughs> criminals taking over a school. <laughs> con Ed is our electrical system. Oh yeah, Con Ed's our electrical system. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. Is I think I had only seen Nick. I think I didn't even think I saw the '80s movies actually, to tell you the truth, until later on. But I just saw him doing all these action flicks, and I yeah. was like, "Oh, who is this guy? Why this guy?" Th- my friends can take this guy. Why is he taking on 
a bunch of criminals on an airplane. But you're also talking about the 90s superhero, like that you compare it to the 80s superhero where it was like Arnold, all those fucking stacked guys, Sylvester Stallone, they all just look ripped. And then you come into the 90s and you had like all the heroes, they had flaws. That's why like, you know, Nicolas Cage, he's never 100%. He like kind of fumbles through it. You know, he's, he's accidentally successful sometimes, you know. In, in The Rock, he's never killed someone. He is a trained FBI agent, but he's had le- zero field stuff. And then he's cast with, uh, uh, what's his name? Sean Connery, who's, you know, an ex-convict who's like battle hardened. And so they pit the two together. Great movie, The Rock. <laughs> Maybe you're right there. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's an age thing because I was a child in the 80s. So, you know, when I snuck and watched and rated our movie, I looked at those superheroes that, I mean, those, the heroes that were like. The action heroes. The act, you know, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You're right. No sympathy for them in, unless they get shot. The 90s, like male action hero had flaws yeah. and feelings and stuff. And then I became a teenager in the 90s and I was like, you know, trying to be cool or whatnot. I was like, who's this guy? He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be taking over. <laughs> I'd probably identify with that guy more. <laughs> this is Tara Reader Eugene along with Dr. McIntyre at Black Wolf, Kansas, KBDD, 980 AM. We'll be right back. Rather than seeing these catastrophes that are going to happen as being the end of the world, we see it's the beginning. The Doctor and the Mystic, 980 AM, KBDD, Black Wolf, Kansas. Do you take uh, Medicaid, Dr. McIntyre, so you can be my next therapist? You just broke down my psychology. uh, (laughs) I'm too busy to accept Medicaid. Oh, you're too busy now? You've got a lot of clients because of this corona? Yeah, Yeah, it it would drop my income if I (laughs) accepted Medicaid. Yeah, who are your clients usually around these corona times? Uh, It's just high-profile people, you know, rich supermodels and actors. Recently had uh, Gigi Hadid in, checked her out. I don't, you don't have to give any names of supermodels. Maybe when we're <laughs> off the air, I would love to know. But what are their main concerns, these actors and supermodels, about what's going on in these times? Their concerns actually remain quite the same. It's really just uh, cosmetic issues. They're worried about. Uh, it's just high-profile people, you know, rich supermodels and actors. Recently had uh, Gigi Hadid in, checked her out. I don't, you don't have to give any names of supermodels. Maybe when we're off the air, I would love to know. But what are their main concerns, these actors and supermodels, about what's going on in these times? Well, uh, their concerns actually remain quite the same. It's really just uh, cosmetic issues. Yeah. They're worried about whether, you know, they heard that breast implants can cause breast cancer down the line and you can have that uh, body rejection to implants. That's just some of my clients. Um, the rest, it's like... All my high-profile clients, they've already gotten immunized against coronavirus, so they're untouchable at this point. I would assume that they would be really worried about coming out of this whenever the virus ends, and they'd be old and washed up. Like, nobody cares about them anymore. This is their window right now. But if if they've been immunized, which goes into our our topic for, for today... Well, it was actually only recently immunized, which we can get into... So, so this is why you see them all in other countries and, and on jet skis and stuff like that, because they're, they're not worried about... Yeah, not anymore. They were out there on jet skis hiding at first, but now they can come back into society because uh, all their worries about it are kind of appeased now. Their immune systems have adapted. Based on this uh, serum, we've managed to give them. Who's we? You have managed to give them? <laughs> uh I'm actually not high enough. I meant we as in doctors, but uh, oh, it's, it's really I've, it's really just what I've heard from um, from some of my higher up doctor buddies. There was a lot of theories going. Oh, I just lost my pen. There was a lot of talk. Um, I don't know who's talking, but uh, there's this idea that if this virus mutates and gets out of control, the world will be fractioned off into different zones. It's almost like that movie Escape from New York where they put all the criminals in New York City. Now, would it be people who have the antibodies are allowed outside? If you have money, you pay to sit in basically a hotel room by yourself and you quarantine for two weeks 
and then you can be released through the wall and then you'll be allowed into the society and you'll live with your money. Wait, what if you're poor? Where do you go? You're in the the other society, the other zone. Who's behind this? Is this the government instigating this? The lizard people, apparently. And then, There's definitely very specific zones that have been, um, you know, safe havens from COVID already. Vacation homes and uh, gated community vacation homes have very specifically been kind of like a COVID quarantine. Their lifestyle hasn't changed at all. They can just enjoy themselves in the quarantine spaces. Well, yeah. I mean, it's almost like when you when you go on YouTube, you see those luxury bomb shelters, but it's a luxury town or not even town it'll be community a community not even like a not even a small community but like a a luxury state oh yes you know what i'm saying saying. like it'll be like the state of florida you know and you'll have workers that live there it'll be basically be like the nba living in a bubble like that's their plan b i mean there's also the plan of you know the virus's population control the virus does a wonderful job killing the elderly which is the people that you have to pay for Social Security. Mm-hmm. Also, the people with the uh, pre-existing conditions. You know, get rid of them because they're just racking up the health care bills. Right. And there's also like a wealth transfer because the money, you know, where whatever happens to their retirement funds or whatever happens to that money. So you knock out those people and then you've got all the, you know, the people on the top. And the young the people, young, the, the young, young viral or viral, virile, yeah, people up the top. You still have to worry about you know the poor people that are immune to the virus or they've beaten the virus. The poor people who survive the virus would be, make a great labor force. Some of them, yeah, and some of them won't because they're they're not gonna. Some mm-hmm. of they're gonna try to rise up. The troublemakers, I guess. Someone would have to provide food though for the the rich zone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you definitely would have your migrant laborers. But it's like that book Gateway that I gave you, that poll book, where you could live on the, the 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 space station and be a janitor or like lost. Okay, like lost. You know how uh, Linus's father was like a, a janitor? Yeah. Like you're going to need those people. My life sucks. I'm going to decide to go for a job at Zone 2. I'm, I'm virus free. I have good skills. So... So you so you'll definitely um a slightly better lifestyle. So you have a slightly better lifestyle. You'll still be serving assholes, but you'll at least not be fighting over crumbs. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. You listen to The Doctor and the Mystic at KBDD 980 Black Wolf, Kansas. Riots in the UK. This is really disturbing stuff. Boris Johnson has lost all control, as we spoke here on Outsiders last week. Uh, He seems to have lost the plot completely. But let's have a look. Rita, tell us about what is happening in London at the moment. Well, they've arrested over 150 people, including Santa Claus. Uh, (laughs) If the kids are listening, I'm sorry to to, to inform you of that. This is The Doctor and the Mystic at 9.80 a.m. KBDD, Black Wolf, Kansas. Why don't we hear more about these models? It's not just models, it's uh, actors and, you know, a lot of people think that actors are high up there on the, uh, you know, on the social scale, on the wealth, but they're actually quite in the middle. The people who have all the advantages of the system, who are kind of running it from behind, we don't even hear about them. You know, growing up, I grew up in a suburban town where it was like kind of divided. There's like poor kids and then there was rich kids. And then the rich kids, you know, it was like dad owns a construction company and they live out on... Bonnyville Lane in this big house. That's like nothing compared to like the money now. Well, the true wealth. I mean, you learn that when you move to New York. You never see money like you do in New York. You don't meet the people that have the money. You meet their kids. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of kids getting ready to go on camping trips and away trips, uh, leaving Manhattan. Manhattan during the coronavirus. They were living it up. They didn't have anything to do, anything to worry about. This is probably a really good time for them. Probably They're probably making a lot of memories over in the Hamptons. Oh, dude, the amount of time spent in the Hamptons. Probably amazing. They're learning how to horseback ride. They've been wanting to do that forever. Do you know much about these rich millennials that are like learning how to bow hunt and stuff for the apocalypse? <laughs> I have heard about that. It's like kind of prepper type stuff, right? I don't know what that word is. Oh, pre- yeah, 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 prepper type, yeah. Mm-hmm. Learn how to bow hunt. 
people who have these huge, massive, you know, shelters in case something dramatic happens. I think that's so funny because maybe if you can get to your shelter in time, if something so awful happens that you got to go into your bunker. But like, unless you're hanging out in your bunker when the bombs go off, I don't think you stand a chance. It's like in the movies where you have a helicopter waiting for you. Now, if it's at the end of the world, the guy in the helicopter is going to just say, screw you, rich man. I'm going to take this helicopter and I'm going to get the hell out of here. Yeah. You, what, what's it going to do? Take off of the fucking top of your building, fly you to your bunker, land, and then be like, all right, later, I'm going to go back to New York and die. What's no, the incentive? Gonna... <laughs> no, he's, he's going to slaughter you and live in your bunker. Yeah, unless he's invited in. My mother makes these go bags. She was like a end of the world prepper just for a hobby not because she was worried about the end of the world but i sent her this video just recently about this luxury bunker and it had swimming pools it had you know everything and she goes uh yeah that's neat but i i i wouldn't want to be down there with that when the plumbing goes wrong yeah <laughs> like you got to get somebody down there to fix your plumbing that's the kind of wealth i hate because you know, you're buying up resources that are not being used i like when you own things and they're being used the idea of having a bunker unless you got some straight shot way from your offices to push a button and slide through a tube to get to that bunker you're not going to use it you're going to have to be best friends with your driver yeah <laughs> what will probably happen is society is already deteriorating it's not going well and something bad is going to happen. So what you do is you get the hell to your bunker a month before. Like right now, like even the beginning, that first, you know, March and April here, where it was like you didn't really know what was going on about the coronavirus. You live near where I live where there was nothing but sirens all night. So you just sitting there was like, oh, my God, is this it? Here's the thing. People might be like, the world is bad enough now. I have to go to my bunker. And then they're going to sit out in the bunker and be like, you know, actually, the world isn't over yet. And I'm missing out. So then they come back out and they hang out. At what point is the world over? If you imagine like a war-torn country, you're still a rich person living a lavish life in a war-torn country. You're not in a bunker for months. The world would have to be over. You mean after the war? You could go down there during, but it's not like... Listen, I don't think it was very great in Hitler's bunker. I don't know. At that point, people are probably just taking all your money out of the bank anyway. Unless we get into like a nuclear conflict, everything is over and like the people that didn't get blown up are just fending for themselves. But what's really going to happen is going to be like a big collapse and it's going to be pretty miserable for years. Maybe on a grand scale, it'll look like a giant collapse, but I just think it'll be more like a gentle petering out to a single person. I mean, in order to get to the road... You know, the book or the movie, The Road. I, I like to say the book, like I read the book, but like I, I watched the movie. In order to get to the life of the road where it, you're just foraging for what's left on earth and, you know, trying to avoid cannibals, it's a long ways before that happens. But in order to get to that level of the road, I don't think the dad will be like, hey, you know, in my day, we used to go to bars and watch a guy tell jokes on a stage I think that guy will be either dead or so old. Right. The scavengers will be the young kids now. Okay, all you have to do is look at history where like there have been famines, there have been war-torn countries, there have been times where like in a local area it's like world has ended. There doesn't turn out to be these bands of cannibals hanging out. Sure, there's plenty of militia and people being murdered, but it doesn't become a lifelong society of roving cannibals and rapists. Maybe. Maybe. maybe, maybe I don't know. I haven't lived a, a really war-torn country lifestyle. I think in order to get there, it has to be an overnight. It would be an overnight thing, but I think society would balance out eventually. You'd end up having communities. You'd end up having, you know, I think there would be a certain balance that would eventually establish within a few years after a nuclear holocaust i think it would be like the raping and the murdering for a while because you still need a, a form of order yeah but there existed order with okay so what happens with uh nuclear war and a ton of people are dead right let's say we lose all technology well humanity has lived with no technology before okay but how many years are we talking though like how many years until society rebuilds itself after a nuclear holocaust. 
to get back to normal. Who knows? But I'm just saying, yes, it would be medieval dark ages. There would be a lot more brutality than there is today. But I also think that there would be established societies and that it would still function in a general sense. I just think that the road, I just don't think it's possible. It's not sustainable to have roaming cannibals. <laughs> it's not a real sustainable form of society. Okay, but hear me out though. The bombs go off all over the world. Every major city is nuked. It's not just like Boston or, or, or New York. It's also like Iowa because that's where like the shelters are or like the farming belts. Now let's get into the climate theory because these nuclear explosions, this isn't just a con, bring in the dinosaurs. Like bring in the comet. That why did the dinosaurs all, all go extinct in the comet theory? Well, because they can't live because there's no sun. So there's no farming. So there's no food. So what's the point? You, how are you going to build a society if there's no food? Therefore, the society won't be built because we'll just be a bunch of roving cannibals eating and raping. No, no. See, if you are cannibalizing, you're already hungry enough to cannibalize, right? And then you're, you're also depleting your food sources rapidly and need for, like, look at a society that's gone through starvation. I'm sure there's people who cannibalize, but it's not the first thing people do. It's at the end of the food sources, right? So at that point, people are already too weak to, like, be roaming. And now, I'm sure there might be some crazy people out there who are like, I'm going to get on top of this food source and just start eating people before <laughs> I get weak, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But most people are going to be weak already, forced to cannibalize, and then they're not going to have just enough strength from that to go roam around and cannibalize other people. Once you reach cannibalization, the population would just crumble till you had enough people that could sustain on whatever food can be found naturally. And if there can't be any, then all of humanity would die off. Yes, there might be a period of cannibalizing, but as soon as that happens, it's going to dip off pretty fast because you're also reducing humanity by such an amount that you would open up more resources for the few people left. You're looking at it as a more positive viewpoint. I'm saying that to me is more uh, logically what will happen because to have cannibal cannibal like roaming packs of cannibals is just not sustainable i'd say what would happen most is you'd have a collective of people getting together like a small society and they would hoard all their food and then shoot anyone who tries to take it right so people are going to not try and take it they're going to try and find food other places and then they'll fight amongst themselves and other smaller things outside of that and then maybe a few select people will cannibalize but like generally People will organize enough to be like, here's our resources, here's how, and then they'll try to figure it out from there. And then slowly die. Yeah, if, listen, if we could never regain the ability to get food or anything, then yeah, we would slowly die off. But I don't think people would jump to cannibalism. And if they did, people would die so fast that they would still starve faster. You can live, what, a month without food, they say? Maybe a little longer? I don't know how much calories is in a person, but you're also eating a person who's been starving for a while, so they probably don't have that many calories. And basically, it would all be over in a year. You wouldn't have societies develop where they cannibalize people. It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't happen. I'm not trying to be. I mean, that's still a pretty bleak outlook. I just don't think roaming packs of cannibals is a sustainable form of society. I think it would consume itself and wouldn't last longer than a couple months because the breaking point of which you are at in society if that's happening then that means it's all going to be over soon because they would consume themselves and fight each other till there was so few people those few people could sustain themselves we're coming up on the news now this is the doctor and the mystic at uh, 9 80 a.m wkbdd uh, black wolf kansas it's not w it's just kvdd what is it KBDD 980 Black Wolf. Yeah, Kansas. This is The Doctor and the Mystic at 980 AM KBDD Black Wolf, Kansas. So going back to my theory about the zones. So okay, say well, explain your zones first. What's what zone one? Okay, so let's let's just say here, let me get my diagram out. Because um so you got zone one. 
whatever the reason is about this virus, war, whatever, we got zone one and zone two. Zone one is, uh, we'll say, is poor people. And they're like live in a society of like your stereotypical live on top of each other. There's not a lot of food resources. Uh, they kill each other. They cannibalize. They do all that. And then um, you've got zone two where uh, we got all the rich people. You know, and then there's like a DMZ zone in between the zone one and zone two with like guns and everything to keep zone one from taking over zone two. And then zone two is just like living in luxury. You'll take a pool of people. You know, it'll be like almost like we'll say to, to serve as zone two. Because there'll be like another class. You know, it'll be like mills and textiles where they had like their houses for their textile workers. Before zone one starts eating each other, in order to get to zone two, you need to quarantine in this DMZ zone. You have to pay enough money and you have to have enough money to live in zone two. It's not even about like being healthy enough to get into zone two. You have to like seriously have money or resources or whatever keeps zone two going. Mm -hmm. Now, while zone two is like living it up, zone one is just deteriorating and destroying. Because again, it is about population control and resources or whatnot. And then poor people will just kill themselves. Mm -hmm. and finally resort in this world of anarchy and lack of civility because it'll eventually get to that level where they'll mm -hmm. just start eating each other. <laughs> I guess zone two could always poison zone one. I feel like, though, you always have to have the zone one. Uh, now, first of all, your zone naming, I feel like, is off because I feel like the people naming the zone would be the people in zone two. Why would they choose their zone to be two? <laughs> We're number like they one. Would definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think even though they would know it shouldn't matter, I think they would still be like, but it does. Yeah, we are zone one. Yeah, they're not going to name themselves zone two. <laughs> <laughs> they can name themselves zone one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so can we just call the rich people zone one? It makes more sense in but my But that head. means I have to re re redraw my diagram. <laughs> Can't you just draw an arrow? Oh, no, I'm just going to X out. If you only have two zones, you may as well choose the rich zone to be yes, zone one. of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know economically how this all works, but it seems in order to be rich, you need poor people. You need that comparison. Rich doesn't exist without poor people, right? So if you have zone two and they all die off, due to cannibalism and no food, you want the poor people to give you wealth. Uh, so uh, so now you're creating a, uh, a sub-zone yes. in zone one. Between. <laughs> zone so now 1A. You've got, now you've got, yeah, yeah, now you've got zone 1A and 1B. <laughs> and, okay, so is, is zone two all dead now? Later on. Okay. If you were zone one... After like 10 years of zone two eating each other, why would you even want to pool your resources? Here's the other thing. You can't eat each other for 10 years because that causes a dramatic drop in population, right? It's not sustainable. Now, you could kind of get zone two to be violent with each other a little more, keep themselves in check, but you'd still have to be feeding them resources, scraps. Because if they were just left to die, they would just die within a year. Less than. Once you start eating each other, it's uh, you. You're also losing future food. The problem with that is, you can't just draft somebody that's been living in Zone Two for ten years, living in a miserable life, to get over and then just be your butler all of a sudden. Well, no, you could probably find the best. Of the best. That's why they talk about control. It's not about just letting them die off. You have to control them so you can still take from them. So you would say that Zone Two ha still has a form of order. And structure. Yeah, it would still need order and structure, and you would pit people against each other within it, just like modern society. And then that way you could get them to feed into the rich people, you know? Okay. Where do robots come <clears throat> in this? Well. <laughs> Why do we need Zone 2 if we can get our robots to be good slaves? Well, that goes to my own theory, based on writing a... Uh, what is that airplane company? They do 
their engines are at the back of the plane. Um, what are they called? It's like a French company, Bombardier. So the is that right? I'm gonna look that up real quick. I didn't even know if the Bombardier French had an airline Inc. company. Uh, it might be Canadian. Yeah, it's oh, Montreal. Air France. What am I talking about? Air France. I mean, I guess Air France and Delta are kind of connected. No, no, no. That's that's this this is a company that builds the planes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not the not an air, air uh, not an not an airline. airline. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they make these planes which are a little smaller, and they call them like city hoppers, and they've got the engines at the back. You've seen them. Instead of the engines under the wings, they're at the back of the plane. And uh, they're a little smaller, and there's only enough for one row, right? And two seats on each side the whole way back. And even then, it's hard to get into your seat. When you're sitting against the window, you feel the curve of the plane. You're like stuck in the circle part of the fuselage, right? Well, these small, uncomfortable planes still have first class. And when you get on, instead of a row of four seats with an aisle in the middle, it's a row of three seats with an aisle in the middle. So you are not benefiting at all. You could be a millionaire on a bombardier and you are basically living like anyone else except you have three to your row instead of four, right? So on a general level, you're really not gaining anything, yet you're paying for first class. And that makes me believe that the whole benefit of first class isn't what you get out of it. It's just to be better than everyone else on the plane. Does that make sense? Yeah, but have you ever flown first class? Uh, no. Have you? I flew business class. I'm sure it was great. But you weren't on a bombardier. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yes, I'm sure it's great in other situations. But this is a bombardier. I don't care how much they make it look like it's better than the rest. It's not. It's like the new iPhone. It's just that you are better than everyone else. And so when you enter into robots entering into stuff, you're talking about mass manufacturing. You're talking about an abundance of resources, right? So we now have an abundance of resources. And society's already there. We already have an abundance of resources. We have automation. We have ways to get enough food to everyone, right? But we don't do it. And the simple reason is people want more than other people. I have more stuff than a king has. If we're talking entertainment, I could watch more shows than a king could. I know more about the world than a king does. Well, like a you know, king from like seven medieval ages. Seven. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like a third world country. I have I, I have more <laughs> access to knowledge than yeah. a king back then. The only difference between me and that king is I don't have control over people and I don't have more wealth over other people. The desire to be rich and wealthy, I don't think it's about having stuff. It's about having stuff compared to other people. You have to be comp comparing yourself to others in order to feel that sense of wealth. It, it's the fact that you finally get the job and there's always something more. And it's like, well, you, what are you talking about? You're on, a you're on a television show. You're on a sitcom. Why are you complaining about your job? You drive a fucking BMW. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, this guy's got a Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where, I'm, I'm th with, when it comes to robots, people are like, oh, robots, the help humanity. We'll, 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 like, they'll... F farm food for everyone it won't matter because there still won't be enough to go around because other people will take from that in order to have more than other people basically right now we have uh i think economists have looked at it and been like we have an abundance of resources in the sense that everyone could eat but we don't let everyone eat well no we well you can't let everybody because it, it has to do with c capitalism and whatnot it's it's more of just like a s controlling society I mean, it goes into that thing. You can't just give everybody free HBO because then they don't appreciate it. <laughs> That's the whole theory. Right. However, there's plenty of rich people who, in a sense, they didn't have to earn it. Maybe they're coming from family wealth. You could just say that their food and their water and their bed, they don't earn that. They earn stuff on top of that. They are being gifted that for life. I also think that people could have access to food, water, and a place to sleep for free and still be part of the capitalist society because the desire to be better than people is more, especially once your basic needs are met.
you know, you're going into like basic income and political stuff, which is what I try to avoid as much as possible on these recordings. <laughs> oh, what you love conspiracies? I feel like no, that I would love be... conspiracies. But when we start talking, <laughs> when we all of a sudden we're going to be like, well, that's why we should have basic income for everybody. Well, it's listen, like, yeah, and it's like, well, you... <laughs> the it doesn't work. It's like, wait, wait a minute, go Trump. <laughs> you know, I know, I know. But you brought up robots, and no, that's, I got you. That's how I view robots: is just creating more resources for people to acquire easily. And maybe you were hoping I'd go more the sci-fi route, but that's really what I think. <laughs> so it's angering of, me, but yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I understand yeah, I got you. If Zone One has the robots, they're just going to use it to have more free time. Listen, my this seven months in quarantine has not been the best. But on the other hand, it's like, listen, I I am not starving. I am very entertained. I have projects that are going nowhere. But I am la- I am lacking something. Yes, I could probably live like this for the rest of my life. It'd probably take me about ten years to kill myself. Like I do not want to say I want to go back to work. I don't. And the only reason I would want to go back to work is because of the 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 money dries up. But on the other hand, there is a sense of something to do or something bettering. So myself. you're saying you need to be living on the edge of life that if you don't make enough money for food, you won't be able to achieve anything else. If you were to just give me shit, I'd probably just be an alcoholic or a drug addict after a while. You need to gain some, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I'm lost right now. You got to be hungry for it. I don't know what the ideal is. My question is, is if you're searching for something, is it based on the fact that you are being gifted your resources? Or is it that you can't go and do anything with anything that you're learning in your free time? I don't know. I think that we should just scratch everything I just said. And go back to your theory because I, I'm not, because now we're going down a different path. No, it's the same. I mean, it is it's the not same the same path. because like okay, because you pre- you're presenting a good counter to having resources. The difference is okay. We'll give this for a theory. Say we give everybody seven a thousand dollars a week to live on. What would I be living for? You know how many people really do get creative? You know it was like the joke. I you know I think my my girlfriend had. She said, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of screenplays coming out of this. And it's like, are there really going to be screenplays or like are people just going to watch Netflix? But then even gets to a point where Netflix gets boring. So you need something else. But see, I think that is a lack of purpose because I think people, okay, let's say you wake up, you have breakfast is provided to you. Can we not talk about like the world now, but like talk about, say the robots do everything for us. Yeah. Okay. So robots provide whether, however, it's not like just your personal robot makes you breakfast but like automation has now taken over farming right taken over stuff like water cleaning it's all automated and easy to use so what would you need to do that you would need all the electricity and maintenance and whatever for all that right and the knowledge of programming and all that so as a society as a country we pay the taxes to make all that work right now you wake up You've got your food, you've got your shelter, and you've got water. And everything else should cost money. And so, are you going to wake up and just eat breakfast and then drink water and then go back to bed? No, you're going to want to do other things. Is Netflix enough? Maybe for a little while. But if you're living that lifestyle, you're going to want to do other things. You're going to want, well, maybe uh, I want like fancy bread. Then you just start taking drugs or playing video games all day. Pretend to be like Captain America or uh, some World War II hero or whatever you people do on your video boxes. But that's already accessible to you and you're not doing it. You know what I mean? Like you could be doing that. So what I, So what are we saying here? What's the end result? The end result will be... People always want to be better than the other person? Yeah, and you're going to strive to be better than yourself. I think that's just inherent. I know that we look at us making money and providing shelter and food... But in a general sense, we're still already pretty taken care of. You could live meagerly and make less money. Not all people, but a lot of people are generally able to just sustain. And that's not good enough for us. The quest from being is is I need to be something better. I think the Uh, philosophical question kind of that happens is like, if robots provide everything for us, what is life going to be? I think we'll be living with whatever food we want, whatever we can drink, and we'll still be like, oh, God, I got to get my screenplay done. 
or we're going to be like, he's got two robots. I want two. So going by this theory, you'll always have poor people. <laughs> we definitely have to take a commercial break. Uh, this is the Doctor and the Mystic on WKBDD Black Rock. I mean, uh, WK, uh, I mean uh, we're, we're on. Uh, uh, this is the Doctor and the Mystic on KBDD Black Rock, Kansas. We'll be right back. Black Wolf, Kansas. I, I'm gonna get fucking fired, dude. <laughs> be looking for that basic income. There's going to be more chaos and disunity in America after the election. And because of all of that, there's going to be a prophecy in Ezekiel that will be fulfilled. Can you break down that Ezekiel prophecy for us? This is The Doctor and the Mystic at 980 AM KBDD, Black Wolf, Kansas. We are back. This is The Doctor and the Mystic on WKBDD. I um we I don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about basic income or robots or this is what I worry about in the soon to be society. Yeah. When I worked in special ed, I'm like, what are these kids gonna do? You know, what are these kids gonna do for a living? Because things are changing. This is like ten years ago or whatever. So things are starting to change into automation and things like that. And then like the old dog, the old teacher would be next to me and be like, Well, the world needs ditch diggers. Well, no, now the world doesn't need ditch diggers. Or in 10 years from now, the world won't need ditch diggers. Right. So, like, what do you do with all those poor people? Well, that's where the government comes in, right? And it has to use the abundance you gain by using automated ditch diggers. If it's more efficient, then you're gaining more from it than whatever those gains. Those need to be spread out among society. Otherwise, it's just going to the company who owns it. But why should one company own the ditch digger when the ditch digger has been built on technology throughout society? Yeah, but what do you do with the poor people? You just provide them a means of survival. You don't need to give them more. So you just give them like a basic income and then they just like smoke weed all day and work on their screenplay. (laughs) Or play video games. I don't know. If you provided just food... That's different. I mean, that's the whole point of food stamps, right? You can't buy anything other than food with food stamps. No. You can buy good food. You can buy Oreos. But Yeah, but as that whatever. That gets off on the point. But yeah, okay. So so you say then just provide the food. Just provide the means to survive. What about housing though? Yeah, that too. But then why would people do anything? You would just want a better house? I think People would find stuff to do. No, I mean to better themselves. You're saying to better, they find stuff to better themselves, to make it out of their housing project. Like, what do you I'm, do with, the, I'm saying, <laughs> what do you do with the poor people? What do you do, like my, my, my old students, like, like, I mean, God knows what they're doing now. What you're saying right now is maybe a level of realism that's hard to grasp, which is that, you know, you're going to have drug addicts, addicts, but... <clears throat> But, like, it's unfair to go into it assuming anyone who's being granted food and basic needs is just going to turn to drugs. I understand what you're saying, but what do they, so what do you, what do you, what do they, what do you do? What do you mean? Okay, if you're making $100,000 a year or you're making $50,000 a year, do not do anything, would you... You'd want the hundred. I would want to get the hundred thousand because you yeah. want a purpose, right? It's not just the purpose. It just yeah. I mean, I don't know where that purpose stems from. I don't know if it's just a desire to be better than the bare minimum, mm-hmm. but like the idea of just sustaining doesn't feel right. See, I think where a lot of people fall into, and again, I didn't want to go down this road, but whatever. It's like I was thinking about the marshmallow test. You ready? And I was like, this is this sounds so bitter. What I'm about to say and. The whole marshmallow, it's like, okay, we're going to give you a marshmallow now. Or if you wait, you can have two marshmallows. And then they say that the person that waited is. Yeah, it was a study they did on children. uh, The famous uh, marshmallow. famous study, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They came back to them 25 years later, and the ones who had waited for the second marshmallow are more successful. successful. Mm -hmm. I understand that theory completely. But what if it's like they don't tell the person waiting for the second marshmallow that they have to make 10 marshmallows in order to get that second marshmallow. You can have the marshmallow and eat it now, or you can have two marshmallows, but in order to get your second marshmallow, you got to make the person that makes the marshmallows t- 10 marshmallows. You, what you're saying, you get one marshmallow, 
you have to work for 10 more marshmallows and not eat them, and then you get a second marshmallow. <laughs> that's, that's a really good breakdown of the marshmallow test. Not technically, <laughs> it's not technically the marshmallow test because the marshmallow test is about waiting for something better. But the problem is, is not everybody... You don't get to just wait. It's two different tests. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's it's not technically the marshmallow test. It's like creating my own marshmallow test. No, I get it. It's a good breakdown of it because that is the truth. It's not about waiting. It's not about putting your des- immediate desires on hold. Because the whole point of that is that one marshmallow is tempting you the entire time. But what you're saying is that it's like as if there's 10 marshmallows tempting you and then you get a second one. I wasn't even saying that there's 10 marshmallows. I was talking about basically a, a job. <laughs> You could have one free marshmallow, kid, but if you want a second one, you got to earn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, you, you, you sit the kids down, you give them one marshmallow, and you're like, you can have this marshmallow now. You can eat it. Or you can put on a tie and go and sit at a desk for 10 years, and then we'll give you two marshmallows. Yeah, fuck that. No, no, <laughs> give them the marshmallow. Now, that's a different test than the actual. See, I, I, don't, yeah, no, I, know, I don't know course. the marshmallow test, but I would assume it has to do with like, listen, Let's be honest. The people that are taking the first marshmallow, they probably ended up being alcoholics. Dude, they need that no, marshmallow No, it's, it's kind of an instant gratification. Yeah, test. that's what I mean. That's what they're alcoholics. Yeah. Or like, wait, why, why did you smoke all your weed? Why couldn't have waited for the fucking concert? So now if we talk about the marshmallow test, the successful kids, what, did they just learn to wait? Like what made them so successful? It's not about waiting. I think it's more about the instant gratification than it is waiting. If you have instant gratification, it's always the death of you. To a certain extent, I mean, not I the know. death, but it's always there's. Listen, most people that you could spend your whole life like. Also, how do you measure success? It's based on what society has deemed success, which they probably just looked at a bank account. <laughs> I just watched Stranger Than Fiction, which is about a guy who just does his job every day and doesn't have a life, right? So you could be that guy. You got to eat your marshmallows that are given to you in the moment every now and then. That's Listen, if you look at my room, I've got about 35 tarot decks here that I've never even used. So, But if you're giving free marshmallows, you would think there would be people that would want the second marshmallow to live better. That goes back to my theory. All these kids are getting a marshmallow. What about the people getting no marshmallows? Everyone should get one marshmallow and then strive for two. You have to provide a job, something for that guy to do to get that second marshmallow. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I could eat my marshmallow. Like, I already ate my marshmallow. I want more. Well, I, there's no job for you to have another marshmallow. So I guess I'll just sit here. Does that make sense? I think the person who had the instant marshmallow might want to go into finding a way to get another marshmallow. How is this person going to get another marshmallow? We don't need you. We have a robot. Again, I didn't want to talk political, but I definitely think there's a class problem. And then also I get the other side of the theory where it's like, well, if you're going to rely on the government the whole time, they forget to give the marshmallows. It can't rely on these people to fucking give me the second marshmallow or to give me the, the one marshmallow. I'm glad we figured out society based on the, the marshmallow. I test. don't think we figured out society. I, just, I still don't know what the answer is. I don't think anyone does. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the questions. That's our show, everyone. This is uh, Dr. McIntyre with Tarot Reader Eugene, Doctor in the Mystic, KBDD 980, Black Wolf, Kansas.